Righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This is God's word to all the nations, yesterday, today, and forever. Tonight I'm bringing a message on what is the flag, Grandpa, and I want us to think seriously about patriotism, what it means. So would you hear, please, the reading of God's word? I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I do not want to see you now, just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, 
and there are many adversaries. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord just as I am. Therefore let no one despise him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Keep alert. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do in love. I'd like to read again that 13th verse. Keep alert. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And we'll be sure to give you the praise for this and all things. It's in your name. Amen. What is it about the flag that stirs such deep emotions within us? What is it about that piece of cloth, the red, white, and blue, that musters such deep grandeur and pride and joy in our minds and hearts? I like the explanation of one older man who answered the question of his grandson when his grandson said, what is the flag, Grandpa? This is the explanation his grandfather offered. Well, son, the flag is a bit of cloth and a bit of love and a bit of blood and a bit of hope, all woven together and crowned with stars. It is everything we know this country to be and everything we expect this country to be and everything we pray that this country will be. The reason I like that explanation is simply because it implies that the symbol and the reality are one. We cannot separate the flag from what America really is. Every time that flag is unfurled, we sense the ideal of the American dream. And somehow we hear these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Every time that flag is unfurled, we hear the words, I am the nation. Listen, I was born on July the 4th, 1776, and the Declaration of Independence is my birth certificate. The bloodlines of the world run in my veins because I offer freedom for the oppressed. I am many things and many people. I am the nation. And then it ends like this. Yes, I am the nation. I was conceived in freedom, and God willing, in freedom, I will spend the remainder of my days. Every time that flag is unfurled, in our imagination, we hear the fife and drums, and we see the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air, and we immediately begin to think of all the heroes and heroines who have sacrificed for our freedom and made it possible. What is the flag, Grandpa? In the words of Grandpa, it's a bit of love. It's a bit of love. And some quarters in the United States today, patriotism seems to be considered out of date. In other words, it's downright evil in some people's minds. It is true, of course, that Christianity is beyond and above nationalism. Christianity is universal in its appeal, and it never subscribes to any human form of government. Christianity always puts God first above the nation. So not many Christians want to be connected with a noisy, patriot, empty kind of patriotism. 
In other words, we as a people, though, need to have a vital, learned, and thought-out process of what this country means to us and of what it means to love this country. I remember a few years ago in one of the services we had in the church, nearest Fourth of July, we had an appreciation service for God and country. I remember after one of those services, a man came to see me on Monday, and he wanted to know why we held that service. And I said, well, basically for two reasons. First of all, there is something in the Scripture called the theology of blessing. It's in the wisdom literature, and it suggests that we be thankful for our blessings. And I said, the second reason we held this service is simply because we love our country. And he bowed his head, and he, he said, I just wanted to know. A few years ago, I was riding in another city, and I came up behind this automobile that had a bumper sticker. It simply said, America, love it or leave it. I find it rather easy to be sympathetic with that slogan, simply because I find so much in America to love. But it brings up the question, how should we love our country? How should a Christian who puts God first love his or her country? What does it mean to be a Christian patriot? Surely to love our country does not mean that we don't own up to its mistakes and its problems. Someone said that a good wife will do everything in the world for her husband except one thing. She won't stop criticizing him. Why? Because she wants to make him better. She wants him to live at his best. Beloved, whatever our patriotic thoughts are, and I hope they're deep and I hope they're real, we must remember always to be both critical and loving when we think about our nation. We must remember our wider allegiance to a greater kingdom than simply our nation. Edith Caldwell, a British patriot nurse in 1915, was facing her death. As she faced the firing squad, this is what she said, standing as I do in view of God in eternity, I realize that patriotism is not enough. I must have no hatred or bitterness toward anyone. She was simply saying, be a patriot, sure. But she was also saying, don't forget the wider allegiance you have to someone else. Hear the words of the Savior. He says, come to me, all who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the end, all of us are going to have to give up our allegiances to our homelands. We're going to have to give them up, and we'll do it joyfully because we are members of a greater kingdom than all of our nations put together. But that eternal truth does not mean that we're not supposed to love our country. We are. Chanting USA, USA, USA from some stadium is more than a slogan with some of us. We really do love our country. Our forefathers came over, and they gained this freedom, and then they passed it on to their children's children, and it's still being passed on today. Every time we hear the Declaration of Independence read, it makes us want to give a strong affirmation. Every time we hear the Bill of Rights, we want to stand more erect. And every time we hear the Constitution of the United States read, we have a deeper appreciation for those people who wrote it and for those people who defended the people that they were about. And every time we sing, God bless America, every time we sing, America, America, God shed his grace on thee, crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea, we have a deep affection toward this country of ours. As that grandfather said, it's a bit of love. And then secondly, what is the flag, Grandpa? It's a bit of blood. 
it's a bit of blood. Listen to these words. You've heard them before. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. These words, as you remember, were read by the Reverend John Robinson to the pilgrims shortly before they set out to embark to find a home in the new world. They set out to find a home that would not only bless them, but would bless all humankind as well. And they were sustained during those early years in New England, those cold winters, by this, this belief and faith in this high destiny that has sent them out. All through the finest chapters in our history runs this underlying theme of becoming a great nation, not only for ourselves, that a nobler thing can be developed for all humankind. The American dream, which is perhaps America's greatest contribution to the world, the American dream, as I said, offers a genuine, heartfelt appreciation for this country, for this country again and again. The American dream, what was it? It was a dream of justice, freedom, opportunity, and rights. Now granted, this dream has not been fulfilled in all of our people even yet, but the dream is still there. It's represented by that lady standing in New York Harbor. Emma Lazarus said she was the woman with the mighty lamp, the mighty torch. I want you to listen to the way she put it. You're familiar with these words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuge of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. At the conclusion of the Constitutional Convention, a lady came up to Benjamin Franklin as he was walking down the steps of Constitution Hall, and she said, Sir, what have you given us? And he looked at her and he said, A republic, lady, if you can keep it. He was suggesting that it may be as hard to keep this republic as it was to get it in the first place. And we know, as a matter of fact, because of the cost of it, that that is the case. I want to say just a word about Memorial Day and its observance. Memorial Day was inaugurated in 1868 by General John A. Logan for the purpose of decorating the graves of Civil War veterans. Years have passed, and since that time there have been other wars and police actions, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, Iraq, Afghanistan. The price has indeed been high for our participation in those wars. Not long ago, I read the book Faith of Our Fathers by James Bradley. This is a book about the raising of the flag or flags on Iwo Jima. It's more about the sacrifice of the United States Marines in gaining that small island. Do you know, you could get in a car and travel 60 to 65 miles an hour on that island, and you would be there in five minutes. That's how small it was. But that island cost 47,000 lives to secure it. 26,000 of those were Americans. As a matter of fact, that every American soldier that got on that island, two out of three, were either wounded or killed. And then there's the war in Afghanistan. One of the first casualties of that war was a young man, a 20-year-old ranger, who happened to be a member of the church I served as pastor, the St. Luke United Methodist Church in Columbus. That young man was one of the first casualties in that war. Indeed, it's been a horrible price to pay, and yet many fine men and women have sacrificed their all for this freedom we enjoy today. What was it that woman said to Benjamin Franklin? Sir, what have you given us? You remember what he said? He said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. As Grandpa said, it's a bit of blood, 
it's a bit of blood. And then thirdly, it's a bit of, of hope. Over a hundred years ago, Alexis de Tocqueville, the French politician and writer, visited America and wrote a book about the people he learned to know so well. In it, he made this keen observation. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The writer of Proverbs was right. He was saying the same thing. Righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is the reproach to any people. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. If de Tocqueville was right, if America's greatness is in her goodness, what is her goodness? America's goodness is in the repentance of her sins, in the repentance of her sins. You know, in our time, national holidays have become almost the same in terms of faithfulness to them as Christmas and Easter. I'm talking about the 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, except there's one difference. These days generally don't call us to repent of our sins, and they don't call us to ask forgiveness like some of the more Christian holidays do. God said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So what are some of the things we need to repent of? I just want to mention a couple. Number one, arrogance. We need to repent of our arrogance. What is it that makes us in America feel that we are right, the good guys and everybody else is wrong? The truth of the matter is all of us in every nation have sinned against God and all of us need to be repenting of our sins. Second, power. We need to ask God to forgive us for our misunderstanding of power. When you think of power, what do you think of? Do you think of the President of the United States sitting in one of his rooms writing a bill or approving a bill? Do you think of one of our battleships out there with more firepower than most of the nations in the world have? Do you think of the number of nuclear weapons or do you think of something else? Back in the 1950s in the state of Louisiana, there was a little girl named Ruby Bridges. She was six years of age. She was selected to be the first one to go to integrate the school there in Louisiana. Federal marshals had to take her to school every day amid the white, jeering, and spitting white people along the way. Somebody had said that her teacher needed to watch her carefully to see if she could handle the stress. One day the teacher saw her talking to herself and so she immediately called the doctor. The doctor came and spoke to the child about it and she said, I wasn't talking to myself. I was praying. And he asked, what were you praying? And she said, I prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the kind of power that I'm talking about. This is God's kind of power. It's forgiving and loving when the circumstance seems absolutely impossible to forgive. America's greatness also lies in her identification with the marginal, the least, and the lost. Max Lucado said he was riding down one of the Texas roads. It was full of hills and bents and curves. He knew the road well, but he said the police officer also knew it well, and he pulled him over. 
he was looking at Lakato's license. And he said, aren't you one of the ministers around here? And he said, yes. He said, were you on the way to a funeral? No. Were you on the way to an emergency? No. Well, you were going awfully fast. I know it. The policeman looked at him and said, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give you a second chance. Max Licato thanked him generously and graciously. And then Max Licato said, God's signs of directions are everywhere. They're in our hearts, in the universe, in the Bible. But we tend to ignore these directions. But God is not going to do to us what we deserve. God says to us, I'm going to give you a second chance. Just like a man going to a food line in a church. A second chance. Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Ye have done it unto me. Now, I want to bring this to a conclusion. Leslie Weatherhead, at the end of his ministry at City Temple London, was asked what he had learned. He said, oh, I've learned many things. But he said, the thing that I have learned is that life is successful only one way, and that is God's way. Life is successful only one way, and that is God's way. What is the flag, Grandpa? It's a bit of love. It's a bit of love. It's a bit of blood, a bit of blood, and it's a bit of hope, a bit of hope. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for these United States of America. We are grateful for Memorial Day and for all the men and women who serve in our armed forces and for those who have sacrificed their all for the freedoms of this country. We are grateful, O oh God, for all the other days you give us and we ask that you'd help us to live as we need to live, not simply as Americans, but as Christ-centered Americans. Thank you again for this opportunity. Bless these friends in your name. Amen. Good night, and thank you for being with us.
Word became flesh, bore my sin in death. Now you're risen. Everything I once held dear, I count it all as loss. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to I belong to you. 